Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. We particularly, any of you who uh, lost loved ones, uh, we give you our condolences and thank you for their sacrifice. And my condolences to Bill for losing 45 minutes of his life. Yes, here. because so Normally of, it's a, like a 10-minute drive yeah, talk. because of Langhorne celebrating. This Memorial is the Day. epicenter, folks, of Southeastern Pennsylvania Memorial Day celebration. I mean, there's just, I couldn't, I went out to run a quick errand this morning, came back, I couldn't park in front of my house. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the district attorney throwing candy at children has to do with Memorial Day, but that's the one. Got to hook them early. Got to hook them early. That's the part of the parade that I saw. So, at any rate, but, uh, I hope everyone's having a good day. And, uh, people in, uh, who are bracing for a lot of rain, we, um, wish you safety down there as well. As well as our Hawaiian listeners, hopefully, who are avoiding. Oh, man. Yeah, avoiding. Uh, that's volcano. Josh yeah. Redder got out a couple of years ago, just in time. Just in time, Josh. Hope you're. Hope, uh, Way to go. Hope you're safe in Ohio. Yeah, there's no lava in Ohio, right? Not yet. <laughs> not yet. There's not a, you know. There's, uh, yeah. So, Bill, we, uh, we actually both commented on something independently yesterday. Yes, we did. From Ben Madison, who. Who previously during the week put out a message that hey hates uh, preaching on Trinity Sunday, he, you know he said you know he admits he leans a little modalistic. Please don't crucify him. Then I think he felt better about himself after he saw <laughs> this piece in the Living Church, which basically said, "Now this is this is if nothing else, right? We'll give it credit for novelty." All right, here we go. So this is uh, from a contributor who. Should they remain nameless or should they? I mean, they No, they're, right. they're out there. They should be named. Name names. This is from Linda McMillan. And I, I, this, I think this is her Trinity Sunday yeah. sermon, Buried John 3 1 through 17. The Trinity is the heresy, is the title. Yeah, it's a nice way to bring people in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That 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 that's, put a, that puts asses in the seat when you put that out on the on the. That, that's what happens when you let your associates preach on Memorial Day weekend. It happens to be Trinity Sunday. <laughs> what did John Gallagher say? What gets them off the bus? You know, stop in front of the church. <laughs> well, listen, I maybe I don't I don't I mean I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, I, it, it's, it could be our maybe she's the head of staff. I don't know. She she could be. Uh, no, so at least she was employed as of last week. As as we know that. Yeah. Yeah. So she's. I'm gonna have to move my my holder because it's not really functioning correctly. Right now, I have it at the wrong yeah. angle. Yeah, so I'm just free flowing now. Uh, so it, she talks about you know the Son of Man being lifted up, you know as as this serpent was in the desert with Moses and Numbers. Right. Do you remember what happened to the serpent on the pole? Well, it worked pretty well. People really were healed when they looked at it. Eventually, they were so enamored of the snake on a pole, they started burning incense to it and worshiping it. Mm -hmm. King Hezekiah made them destroy the serpent on the pole. Right. It, it had become called, an idol. It had a name. Was it Nashesh or Nashashish or something like that? Yeah. They named it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I'm not ever tempted to name snakes. But <laughs> that's how the story of the serpent on a pole ends, and it's how the story of Jesus on the cross should end, too. It has become too much of an idol, <laughs> especially well. in certain branches of Christianity. 
The crucifixion should not be the object of our attention any more than the serpent on the pole. Whoa. Like all idols, they have to be destroyed. And then she tells a um, story about Moses from Islam, uh, where uh, it's Moses is basically uh, eating leaves or something. I don't know what the point, and he feels bad. I don't know what the point of the story is. And then... Um, we're looking for some way to relate to this God, which is an unrelatable, complicated, impossibly incomprehensible being. So we look to things like Jesus on a cross, serpents on poles, leaves, even doctrines like the Trinity. Uh, whether we call God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or nomine patris et filius spiritus sancti, or something more modern, creator, reading, or standard, doesn't matter. Muslim have nine name, Muslims have 99 names for God. Uh, they all seem true to me, um, and then nothing near the whole. Jews have seven basic names. The rabbis add more. Kabbalists add some names. They all seem about right. They're not seven, ninety-nine, or three gods. Still one, still unmanageable. And you know, they, she concludes by saying the doctrine of the Trinity rose out of a need to say what was true, and what was not true about Jesus, who he was, what kind of being he was. Good people did the best they could do to figure it out. Um, some of them, people now call heretics, had taken some kernel of truth and made it their only truth. There can't be any condemnation in that, though. A lot of them did get burned at the stake. Hashtag bad outcome. I wonder if in the sermon she said hashtag bad outcome. <laughs> the fact of the matter, though, is that we have replaced the heretical kernel of truth with a Trinitarian kernel of truth. There really are three expressions of God and at least 3,000 more. The heresy is not naming them, but in thinking that we can somehow manage the nature of God by naming and organizing it. Now, here's my favorite part. Here are some alternative formulations. Oh, God beginning, middle, and end. Oh, God, giver of life, trouble, and death. Oh, God, creator, destroyer, desolation. Oh, God, lover, fighter, weirdo. Oh, God, the question, the answer, the wonder. If you're, li- I, I wish everyone listening was watching this because Bill's facial expressions as I'm reading on are fascinating. I don't know that I've seen this expression before. <laughs> so basically then she says, you know, if it turns out you're a little bit of a heretic, don't worry. We all are, and I don't know. Can you, you know, basically, this is, this is, this was her, her Trinitarian. Well, I do agree with one thing she said. What is that? That she is a heretic. <laughs> I agree with that part. That's totally it. You, you guys are on the same page. Yeah. You could, so, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm glad she did that. I hope, I'm sure that was edifying for her people. And, um, yeah. So we probably just gave that more time than it ever deserved but uh yeah god she could reimagine all that and the kingdom of god it's probably so much better because of you're it. gonna use lover fighter weirdo yeah. so the spirit's the weirdo uh yeah and know. jesus is the fighter and the father the first person's the lover yeah that's actually those are uh, names i usually call myself Lover, fighter, weirdos. <laughs> yeah. How about eat, pray, love? Eat, pray. Yeah, I don't know. So, um, well, you know, she's not the first preacher to get the Trinity wrong, and she certainly sins boldly in that. Uh, right. I, I like that. I respect that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, <laughs> uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot we can learn from the Quran. Not usually on Trinity Sunday, though. <laughs> no, I, I generally. Generally not. It was interesting, too, because, I mean, we're thinking about the Trinity. This, I mean, Islam is 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 probably the biggest competitor religion to Christianity hmm. globally. I mean, they're both missionary religions, and, right. and, and Islam is 
on the rise. And this is one of the, you know, you do have people converting from Christianity to Islam in, in countries where there's heavy contact with both. And people, the, the sort of illogic of the Trinity, I mean, you look at Muslim apologists, they'll just say, look, this is illogical, right? There's either one God or there's three. And, you know, something can't be numerically have the same essence and be different. And, you know, there's kind of... Yeah, there's sophisticated versions of, of Muhammad's initial unsophisticated misunderstanding of the Trinity. Yeah. So this yeah. is, you know... Well, yeah. And I think there's also, I mean, there's a lot different. I mean, I think, uh, you know, some in some of our inner cities, the attraction is kind of the discipline and the moral, you know, st- strictness of um, Islam. Um, not that Muslims don't make the same mistakes Christians do, but I think there's a number of attraction to it. I mean, let's face it, there's always been a kind of, not always, but there's been... Always been attention to you go with the one or the many and the emphasis of the of the Trinity, uh, the one or the three, and and you know the the desire to be a Unitarian um, is something whether it be philosophical or be modernist or ecumenical, whatever reason that certainly has been an impulse of certain groups ever since you know Enlightenment and Christianity. I mean, even back during the Reformation, there were unit you know they were Unitarian you know they were small, but they were Unitarian threads within some of the Radical Reformation. Servetus was a Socinian, right? Yeah, and and then, of course, you know, there's different versions of it. Uh, And then, of course, in in the 18th century, liberal Protestantism, you know, kind of gives us Unitarianism in a particular form here in this country. So, yeah, there we go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, you know, I'm still for Lover Fighter Weirdo. Lover Fighter Weirdo. LFW. That's yeah. going to be a new band, LFW. That yeah, could be a good. You know, I, I think it's okay if you don't want to be a Christian anymore. I mean, if you philosophically or theologically uh, don't want to be a Christian anymore, um, you know, if you have a different version of monotheism or I don't, you know, she may be even kind of flirting with pantheism there in some of her thinking. Uh, she won't be the first Episcopalian pantheist out there. Or the last. Or the guess. last, right. I would guess. But, um, I just think in terms of if you, um, you know, I think Christianity when we are, when we creed matters, and um, and I think it's okay if you no longer intellectually or theologically can be a Christian. You just need to stop, you know, getting a paycheck from a Christian organization if you're going to do that. Easier said than done. Easier said than done. People, know. you know, like, I know, I know. You know people, people have bills to pay, but exactly. But then, if you're not going to be a Christian, then don't take people along with you. You know, again, this is these are these are you know everybody likes a following. Well, uh, sure, we all do, but then uh, again, I, I think. Well, I don't know why I'm playing devil's hat. I'm like, well, I don't know. Somebody I, this this like, whole thing was your idea. I don't know why you're trying to think, like, okay, what can I say in defense? Everybody likes the following. No one likes to be lonely. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I, I can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Yeah. <laughs> I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? 
If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcasts, projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Samantha Konauer, and Jim Kirk. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been around, you know, people my entire career who, you know, uh, pretended to be, I mean, we all pretend to one level or, or not, but to, to get up and kind of publicly, I mean, at least she's not lying about her theology, which some people do. But I, I just think that it's, um, I, I don't know, it's, it's the unbearable lightness of being a Christian right now in, in large seg- segments of the, of American Christianity. And, uh, yeah, I mean, again, I just think that, uh, you know, you take out the foundation um, and you're not standing on anything. Yeah, I, so yeah. So, okay. So, it's fair to say that we've – let's move on from uh, Miss McMillan, Miss Reverend McMillan, I suppose. I, I think, you know, I think today – I was looking at, at a comment in Ben's Ben Madison's feed by our friend – Did you like my comment? I did. I did. <laughs> we both commented independently. That was funny. Like yeah. kind of, I think I was in that one of the previous one that where Adam Morton said that a lot of Trinitarian the- what passes as Trinitarian theology is abstract speculation, right? So there's, you know, there's that kind of criticism. Right? Paul Zoll says this in in Grace and Practice, where his kind of understanding of the Trinity is sort of. Very soteriologically rooted. He brings up Islam and the importance of not abstracting it. So there's that sort of uh, critique, which I hear. At the same time, you know, like I'm persuaded, Colin Gunton in his book, The One, the Three, and the Many, says, you know, one of the brilliant things of Plato's Republic is that it, it assumes that ethics and ontology are are deeply connected and Mm -hmm. that the way things are truly ought to inform our social reality, our politics, that these things are not matters of indifference. And, and Gunton thinks that, you know, that one of the things that really is at the heart of the perennial modern sense of alienation is the severing of that. You know, and, and the true, the good, and the beautiful, and you know, we, we know so much more about the world than, say, Aristotle, and yet we feel more, much more alienated within it 
than he did, you know, because it, you are now you, you can right. you can learn everything possible about the composition of a frog, but you can't say why are there frogs, you know. So these kinds of this is this is the kind of uh, kind of problem. So I think while you know, I remember Catherine Tanner lecturing. I think during the Warfield lectures at at, at Princeton Seminary, she was at the University of Chicago at the time, and now she's at Yale, fine theologian. And she said, well, social Trinitarianism in a lot of its excesses came from a bunch of old white guys who felt bad that they weren't good at relating to people. So rather than just go relate to people, they wrote theologies of relatedness. <laughs> if you need a social program uh, in the Christian tradition, we have it. Read the Gospels. There's a guy named Jesus. He does a lot of good relating. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I'm sympathetic to some of that, but I also don't want to I don't want to uh, put to rest the significance of of Trinitarian theology, not just for understanding the significance of who Jesus was to the earliest follower, his earliest followers, and who he is, and the continuity there. And I mean, I do think at the heart of the doctrine of the Trinity is Jesus, is the person and work of Jesus. And yet, I do think. It, it tells us something about reality. And yeah. so I think that that's not insignificant. Well, no, and I, I think it's kind of, I mean, for me, the analogy is Justin Martyr, in one of his work, goes through all these places you see the cross, you know, in nature and in architecture. And he says, therefore, um, that just demonstrates that God is teaching us. Well, I mean, that I don't find that convincing from the outside. But from the inside, if I see... You know, there's been times where I've seen a cross in a ship or a cross in architecture, and it reminds me of my faith. I think the same thing is true about this. I, I actually agree that there's something really interesting about the speculative, whatever you want to call that dimension of the three, the number three. I mean, um, Pythagoras, you know, anticipates some, um, you know, is a mystic, and his mysticism of three gets picked up in lots of different kinds of mysticism, including Christianity. And I think this idea of, you know, two very important ideas, not without problem, problems, but, you know, the revealed religion of, of the Bible shows us both a God who the word transcendent certainly can be applied to, holy, 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 I am that I am, but that every page is having God's eminence being revealed and God's, God's desire to be in relationship with humanity, and I do think this idea, and you see it in Jewish mystics, or you see it in in certain thoughts that is not Christian. You you end up with this kind of uh, you end up with threes when you start talking about eminence and transcendence. So I think that, and, and again, I would argue that the, the who she criticized these old white men in their economic trinity. Well, in many ways, I think the Cappadocians understood friendship and relationship and intimacy. They shared their lives with each other much better. And 21st century individualist. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because Gunton sort of—it's slightly hyperbolic, but maybe not. He said, "You know, you can look at so much of Western intellectual history as the struggle between Heraclitus and Parmenides, right? And you have this Heraclitian notion, pre-Socratic, that everything—the logos, everything—is motion and change, right? right? And so you never his f famous dictum, I suppose, is something like, "You never step in the same river twice." Versus Parmenides, who thinks all is one, right. right? And actually, you know, where is where the many is ultimate for Heraclitus, the one is ultimate for Parmenides. And really, plurality is 
an illusion. And you, you could see this in certain kind of Eastern monism. An illusion or a breakdown. Right. You could see this in certain kinds of Eastern thought, like you Absolutely. Know, affinity with Parmenides. And Gunn thinks that, you know, that this is that this is the key struggle in Western intellectual history, the relation between the one, the three, and the many. And he thinks that what what modernity and antiquity, pre-Socratic kind of antiquity have in common is a problem with an understanding of relatedness. And by that, he means not just not so much social stuff, although that's included, but he means understanding the significance of all things in relationship with all other things and the whole. And that that this is something that both in, in that period of antiquity and in modernity we struggle with. And mm-hmm. he thinks that the, it, it's interesting because the first chapter of the book, I think, is something like from Heraclitus to Havel, because he concludes with like some of Falkov Havel's, the Czech, Czech kind of philosopher right. king, some of his observations about the social alienation that came from a, a kind of extreme capitalism and the Soviet experiment. And so it's it's interesting that Gunton thinks that 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 one of the things that you need is something like he he talks about how in the in Western theology transcendence becomes sort of a problem for relatedness and it gets collapsed in later modernity with imminence. But he thinks actually transcendence is the prerequisite for relatedness mm. in, uh, in horizontal or vertical terms, right? Like if you're not distinct from me, I can't relate to you, right? right. Like our, our coming together requires first our, our recognition of otherness and distinction. Yeah, right? there's a place where you begin and I end. Right. Yeah. You know, this is the African proverb, right? I am I because we are we. You know, yeah. there's a sense in which those are equal and ultimate kinds of things, but but the, the I-ness is required for to get to a we-ness. And so, so Gunn is interesting on these points, and I think, you know, that this is where... And he's interesting because he likes Samuel Coleridge a lot, and he thinks that one of the things that Coleridge does is, is sort of you know, thinks that we ought not to have too much of a, a harsh distinction between reason and revelation, that actually we ought to expect that the Trinitarian sort of, uh, he, he thinks of it as an idea, not a tran- transcendental kind of thing, but an ideal. But he thinks that this ought to, this being in relatedness ought to correspond with things we see in the world. Yeah, and I think there is certainly mathematical, philosophical, mystical um, models for the Trinity. You know, and I think what's reminded me too, and, and that is, you know, as Judaism goes through the exile, its exposure to Persian thought, and then, um, you know, in the uh, uh, intertestament period, it's its interaction with Greek thought, you know, what the Sophia or the wisdom of God becomes in, you know, Greek thinking Jews, whether you're talking, you know, wisdom of Solomon or, you know, even Philo, you know, there's a sense where they're playing with these things that, that you know, Christian, particularly the Alexandrian school of Christianity, continues to work with. And so there's part of even the Trinity is born out of a kind of, I hate to use this word, so this is maybe— the, I hear it. I know it's going to come. It's a missional kind of, a missional kind of operation. Gonna, I thought you were going to say Christendom, but— No, no. Missional kind of—it it kind of grows out of a missional endeavor to make the faith understandable to— the folks that are around him. And again, I think the brilliance of uh, the very the struggle that ends up in um, Nicaea Constantinople, which is the creed we have from 381, is that the best thinkers of that time, 
Um, and I think those are, you know, the uh, Cappadocian fathers particularly. They understood they were given a grammar. It's a, we're given a minimal grammar mm-hmm. for God, uh, which is a very different than an ultimate explanation. And so part of the problem, I think, whether our Episcopalian uh, colleague or anyone else, uh, where you don't really understand, where you don't have a sense of mystery. If, when, when mystery gets taken away from creedal Christianity, and it can get taken away a couple of different ways, where it becomes everything's mystical, so that's kind of where we're at now, everything's spiritual, uh, so nothing's spiritual. Or when you get kind of a, a, a cold uh, ideology or orthodoxy, whether you're or, or uh, uh, heterodoxy becomes your, uh, the creed, it's hard, you know, I think we lose something about the uh, about the power, about the mystery of um, of the Trinity. Uh, I think the Trinity was always meant to be something that led us to awe and worship um, as opposed to something that exhausted who the deity is. Yeah, I mean, that's what does Augustine say? If, you know, God, the incomprehensible God, if you think you know, you know it, it's not God. Although we, or comprehend it rather, it's not God. So that's not to say God's unknowable. Because there's a difference between not knowing versus comprehending. You so, can apprehend but not comprehend. Right, yeah. So this is, you know, it's interesting because this is a great quote. So I was rereading content this morning. He talks about what happens, the logic of what happens when the one is displaced by the many. He says, the displacement happens in two ways. Either the many become an aggregate of ones, each attempting to dominate the world, the outcome being those regimes now labeled fascists, in which the strongest narrative narr- survive, in which the strongest survives and dominates, or the many become homogenized, contrary to their true being, into the mass. Kierkegaard's public. The trend today is in the direction of mathematical equality. So it's very interesting. You have this sense that that when you get this displacement, you know, the, the, this displacement of the one, right, for the many. It becomes a new form of monism, right? right like either right, fascist right. or consumerism, right? right so that, right. I mean, I think Gunton's book is is quite brilliant. It's, there's so many gems as I was as I was rereading some stuff in it today. But this sense that this struggle between Heraclitus and Parmenides, right, which is this whole sense that we we do have the sense that reality is both a, a unity and discrete in particular right yep, and, and and this sense that like that either there's something at the source of it that makes sense of that or you you have one of these overreactions or you're just a nihilist yeah there we go so i'm still advocating for fighter <laughs> lover weirdo that's the strangest very strange that's i i don't what about fighter lover Hugger, I don't know, fighter, lover, interlocutor, fighter, well, lover, weirdo. Well, I think for her, the three men I admire the most, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, they took the last train to coast <laughs> for the day. Her. Yeah. The, the, music, <laughs> the day theology dies. The day theology dies. Well, thank, thank goodness that whether theology lives or dies, God is the God of the living, yes. not the dead. Peace. Long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. And I knew if I had my chance That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while 
But February made me shiver With every paper I deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried When I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside The day the music died So bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee But the levee was dry And them good old boys Were drinking whiskey and rye Singing this'll be the day that I die This'll be the day that I Jester on the sidelines in a cast. 
Singing, this will be the day that I die. 